0: Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, hallowed be Thy name. Help us to truly have a holy reverence for You, for Your Word, for Your Kingdom, For the congregation of the Lord, yea, in everything, as we go about our daily lives, as we live them out on this earth. We know not what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like Christ, and we shall see Him as He is. We long for the day, and we can say with Paul, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And as glorious and majestic as that intermediate state is, we realize that it is not the highest and the glorious, but it's with when we are with You in our resurrected body in the glory world to live forever. We often think about these mysteries We know that our Lord Jesus is with you and that His body is localized somewhere. We call it heaven. We also know that the redeemed spirits that have gone on are likewise localized. Because even though they are spirits, they cannot say like you that they are everywhere. They can only say that we are here and not there. And likewise, the unredeemed, their spirits too are localized in a place. Majestic, In one sense, from the standpoint of the world, it seems like uh, fairy tales and dreams made up, but these are real, real as our present existence even when the beloved apostle was on trial upon one occasion, he made the statement that he believed that we shall all be resurrected and stand before the Lord, the just and the unjust. But we also want to say with certainty, like Paul as long as we are in this world, in this body, to live as Christ. Paul told the Philippian saints it was more needful that he stay. I don't know that I could say that. Uh, I don't know about uh, the importance of my necessity. But according to The truth of your word, uh, I must say that as long as you have us here in this world, it's needful that we be here. Help us to know that and help us to fulfill our lot that you would have us to do while we're here in this world. I don't know that I can say with the certainty of the Apostle Paul, but I would like to be able to say to some degree when it comes to the end of my life that I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course. Nevertheless, you'll be the judge of that. As Paul said, we judge not our own selves. Now help us as we study Your Word and may uh, the truth of the Scriptures be sanctified to our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Since we are having the Lord's Supper this afternoon, uh, I'm going to be speaking this morning on what's called the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. Arthur Pink uh, wrote a real good book on that, and he uh, uh, and I'm gleaning from his work. Needless to say, I won't. Uh, he had a whole lot more to say than I'll say this morning. I kept thinking all week long that I would continue preaching on 1 John this morning since those opening verses have to do with the majesty of Christ and His eternality and things of that nature. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking about these seven sayings on the cross. In fact, uh, earlier in the week, someone sent me a text uh, early in the morning and it reminded me of this and I mentioned to them in in a reply of the text that uh, along with what they had said, and I don't remember what all they said now, but uh, uh, it would be good to read Pink's seven sayings uh, of Christ on the cross. Without studying the details myself, well, let me say this. Uh, By the time Friday night rolled around, I couldn't get this off my mind, so I had to... uh, 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 Write out uh, my outline for this, and uh, uh, obviously, I didn't take the time to study in detail the uh, what order they might have been said, uh, so I'm just following pink's outline in pink's order. Uh, if anyone if y'all have the book or ever get across get the book, uh, it would be a good read. Uh, My title is Seven Sayings of Christ on the Cross. Pink's title was Seven Sayings of the Savior on the Cross. And so we have seven different uh, scriptural references. And what I'm going to do, first of all, I'm going to give you Pink's uh, outline and read the scriptural verses, and so you'll uh, have that uh, if you desire. The first is called the, uh, the Word of Forgiveness. The Word of Forgiveness. And that comes from Luke 23, 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second is the word of salvation. That's from Luke 23, verses 42 and 43. And he that is the thief said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Third was the word of affection. The word of affection. That comes from John 19. Verses 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus His mother, and His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw His mother, and the disciples standing by whom He loved, He saith unto His mother, Woman, behold thy son; then saith he to the disciple, behold thy mother. Fourth is the word of anguish, the word of anguish matthew twenty seven forty six. Now about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli' Lama that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Fifth is the word of suffering, John 19, verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Six is the word of victory. John nineteen thirty. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And lastly, number seven, the word of contentment. Luke 23, 46. When Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Now, uh, it would be good if you could go back uh, uh, and read those and study and meditate on those uh, on your own. But if there's any one part of the life of Christ that is talked about more than any other, uh, I believe that likely it would be the cross of our lord jesus christ a lot of people talk about the cross sing about the cross preach about the cross but i wonder how many of them really give much consideration to the cross of what was really involved now I do not say that to say that the cross is more important in the life of Christ than anything else because everything that our Lord did was needful and essential. Everything that our Lord did was needful and essential to our salvation. So who am I to say that the cross is more important than His birth and incarnation or the fulfilling of the law to a jot and a tittle? his sufferings prior to being nailed to the cross his resurrection his ascension his intercession or his return all of those things are essential and uh, i cannot say that one is more important than the other but everything seems to focus around the cross of the uh, completion of uh, of the work but But anyway, uh, our attention is given to the cross, and particularly, as we said, with regard to the Lord's Supper that we're taking this afternoon. And I think the the cross is vital to that because in the Lord's Supper, what we are doing is commemorating (laughs) His death as well as His Resurrection, but is centered around His death, His body that was broken for us and His blood that was shed for us. The first one, the word of forgiveness. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When you think of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life was a life of persecution. As a babe of around two years of age, I believe, Herod sought to kill him. He had to flee to Egypt, but with Mary and Joseph to avoid that, Many times the Jews tried to kill him and on more than one occasion they picked up stones to stone him. When betrayed by his friends and apprehended in Gethsemane, he was taken to the Jewish court in the middle of the night, which was illegal because the Jewish court was not to be done until daylight. But they got a head start on things and So you you know, not only from reading the Scriptures, not only reading history of other nations, but seeing in our own nation, uh, politicians and leaders are not necessarily uh, uh, virtuous when it comes to uh, fulfilling the law. They're quick to circumvent the law in order to get what they want. But then he was taken to Pilate and then later to Herod and then back to Pilate. And Pilate on three occasions and Herod on one occasion pointed out that Jesus was not guilty. They said there was no reason for Him to be put to death. But what did they do? For political expediency, they wanted to See to it that Jesus was killed in order to appease the populace. And while still in Roman custody, he was ridiculed and mocked by the soldiers. Uh, he was uh, persecuted, he beaten, crown of thorns was uh, embedded in his skull. and finally he was stripped of his clothing, Nailed to the cross, raised up to be an open shame, and jeered before the public. And yet in the midst of all of this, what did our Lord do when He was on the cross? He didn't cry out for pity. He didn't condemn the people that had falsely accused Him and declared that they would be judged for their actions. He didn't cry out for justice that had been violated. He didn't cry out that he was suffering unjustly. No, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. But he didn't just pray. He prayed for his enemies. This man that had been... Uh, unjustly treated all of His life. And now on the cross, and one of the first things that He does is pray and pray for His enemies. He opened His ministry with prayer. Look in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Verse 20, 21. And when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. Here we see that our Lord began His ministry with prayer and He ends His ministry with prayer. He even... Throughout His life and even in His dying hour, He showed us how to pray. Even to pray for our enemies. The Scriptures tells us on more than one occasion. Well, let's just look at some of them. Look at Matthew chapter 5. You probably know where I'm going, but it's good to... I think I made reference to this last Lord's Day. Matthew 5, <coughs> 43. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto thee, uh, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. When's the last time you blessed someone that cursed you? Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And then dropping down into the 6th chapter, in the midst of the model prayer, he says in verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you want God to forgive you just like you forgive those that persecute you? Do you forgive them? Our Lord did. Our Lord did. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then he reiterates, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, the Christian cannot hold a grudge. He may want to but he, he he can't he has no right to and if that's not enough look in uh, Romans chapter 12 you see it's not only the teachings of our lord but in Romans chapter 12 verse 14 bless them which persecute you bless and curse not and then in verse 20 He says, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You know, if we were to do that, that would probably do away with a large portion of our self-pity. You say, well, I can't do that. No, you can't in your own self. It takes the grace of God. But you have no option. These are not suggestions. These are commands. And our Lord prayed accordingly when He said, Forgive them for they know not what they do this also shows Christ interceding for His people. Because on the day of Pentecost, the very people that that condemned Him and put Him to an open shame, some of the multitude there, they were converted. They were converted. You know not... who is a child of grace and who's not. But our Lord set the example. Even in the midst of His sufferings, He not only showed that throughout His life, but when it comes down to Him hanging on the cross, not as the picture's, normally portray that him having a loincloth about his private parts, but very likely totally exposed. Not only before the public, but even before his own mother. But what did he do? Forgive them. For they know not what they do. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And beloved, that's what the Lord has done for us. He has forgiven us when we knew not what we did. He has forgiven us freely without a cause. Can you not admire such a Savior? Well, much more could be said about that as well as others. The next is the Word of salvation. There again in Luke 23, 42. And He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when Thou cometh into Thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. Here we see various things, but one of the first things that comes to mind is the prophecy being fulfilled in Isaiah 53 where it says He was numbered with the transgressors. He who knew no sin and had no sin about Him was hung between two thieves <clears throat> hung between two thieves and this was according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was all this was part of the plan. This is part of what was marked out in eternity. It's astounding when you see the sovereignty of God not only in our own lives, but in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also shows something else. Free, unmerited grace. Free, unmerited grace was displayed here in granting salvation to this thief in his dying hour. Did he deserve it? No, he did not deserve it. Because a short time before this, the thief was ridiculing our Lord. Look in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Verse thirty eight When there uh, excuse me, then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyeth the temple and buildeth it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves Plural, both of them. The thieves also, which were crucified with Him, cast the same in His teeth. This thief ridiculing the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice in verse 45 there, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That sixth hour is twelve o'clock. But look back in Luke twenty three, verse forty four. After Jesus had said today thou shalt be with me in paradise, and it was about the sixth hour. And there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So what do we see here? at the very last minute, as it were. It appears that the thieves and this thief at the very last minute cries out. Not some uh, hour or two before the darkness comes upon the earth, but at the ninth hour, at the eleventh hour of a person's life, at the end of the life, Sovereign, irresistible, free grace is fully displayed at this dying hour. He didn't have time for the gospel. He didn't have time for the sinner's prayer. He didn't have time to walk the aisle. Of course, he couldn't walk it, (laughs) he was tied up. (laughs) He couldn't do anything. He was there. And yet, what do we see in this thief? What do we see in this thief? We see regeneration. We see conversion. We see confession of sin. Because in one place, he reviled the other thief and said, we justly justly deserve what we're getting, but this man, he doesn't deserve anything. Well, we saw that in Luke 23, verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deed. But this man hath done nothing amiss. What changed this man's heart? What caused him to have a different will? What caused him to have a different mindset? God. God we see regeneration we see conversion we see confession of sin we see the thief seeking for forgiveness we see him condemning the other thief in other words uh, rebuking the world we see him defending Christ We see him acknowledging Christ and His kingdom. In other words, he recognized that Jesus was a king. And just a few moments before, he was saying, well, if you be who you say you are, come down from the cross. What caused this man one minute to be ridiculing the Lord for claiming to be a king, and then the next minute, Remember me in your kingdom. And what else do we see in this? The resurrection. The thief realized that Christ was going to be reigning as a king. And reigning in the kingdom. Well he sure wasn't doing it on the cross, was he? There's a there's a great deal of evidence of salvation and the thief on the cross, God's sovereign grace was displayed. To hear this man that was re- was uh, that was rebuking him, and then he cries out forgiveness, and the Lord forgives him. You remember when the Lord converted Paul? What happened when he went to Jerusalem? Many were afraid of Him because He had persecuted some of their kinfolks, persecuted some of their fellow believers. And Barnabas had to go in and say a good word for Him for Him to be accepted. But Jesus didn't say, prove yourself to Me. He didn't lay down any restrictions or any guidelines. Forgive me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Showing that the thief (coughs) and the Lord were together that very day. Their bodies weren't Christ's body was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And very likely, the thief's body was thrown out into the garbage dump. So it wasn't their bodies that was under consideration. It was their persons. Their persons. Christ never turned away a repentant sinner. No, not even at the last hour. As long as there's life, there's hope. As long as there's life, there's hope. Thirdly, the word of affection. We find this taken from John 19. John 19, 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, His mother, His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. You see, those, those are four different individuals. His mother, His mother's sister, which is believed to be Salome. And we went through that uh, somewhat when we studied the life of John. But when Jesus saw His mother and the disciples standing by whom He loved, He saith unto His mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said He to the disciple, Behold thy mother. Here at the crucifixion was Mary. She was standing, and you remember in Luke chapter 2 when Simeon talked about uh, the rising and the fall of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he told Mary uh, that a sword would pierce through her own soul. You who are mothers, can you imagine what it would have been like to stand before and seeing your son being treated as such. No doubt, no doubt the sword was piercing through her own soul as she saw her son there. It also says in Luke 2 that <clears throat> when the angel <clears throat> spoke to her, she pondered these things in her heart. She had witnessed when Herod tried to kill Jesus. She knew about her and Joseph having to go into Egypt. And then later when they come out of Egypt when Archelaus was reigning in the stead of Herod, they went into Nazareth because of being afraid. No doubt she pondered these things and many other things during the ministry of Christ. How much did she travel with Him? We do not know. But look in John chapter 2. She traveled with Him some. Maybe more than we know. But in John chapter 2, verse 12, And after this He, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, He... And his mother, and his brethren, and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. But look in Matthew chapter twelve. Matthew chapter twelve, and I may have to short come. Short, some of this, and not look at some of the verses, but uh, when we get through with all this. Matthew 12 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak to him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak to thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward the disciples, and said, Behold, that my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So here we see the idea that possibly she was not with him at all times. You know, Peter, Paul talked about Peter and some other apostles uh, taking a wife about uh, with them in every place that they traveled. You'll see that in First Corinthians one nine. And we know Christ had four brothers and two sister at least two sisters, because in uh, Matthew thirteen uh, he talks about. Uh, Names the four brothers and says, and his sisters, plural. They've had more than two. We know they had two. But in John 7, verses 3-5, through it tells us that his brothers did not believe in him. So you can see the... Dysfunction of the family; they were not in always total agreement. Uh, I'm not saying that his mother was not a believer. Uh, evidently, she was from Luke two and other places, and and but uh, and she followed him somewhat. But I doubt that she followed him on every occasion. We do know that there were. Other women in Luke chapter 8, it lists Susanna and Cusa and some others that followed him throughout his whole ministry and ministered unto him. So it was not always just Jesus and the twelve, there were women that traveled with him. And according to Acts chapter 2, when they selected two uh, for the possibility of taking the place of Judas. What was one of the qualifications? They had to have accompanied Jesus from the beginning of His ministry until the end. So we had two more at least that traveled around with Him. So here we see uh, Christ on the cross. We see the uh, uncertainty possibly of what's going to happen to uh, Mary. Him being the oldest child, him being the one that, you know, usually would take care of the family. Of course, she knew that uh, there was something different about him. And yet, at the very last moment, Christ set forth the example of providing for his parent and showing honor. Here at the very last moment, He was not focused upon Himself as we have already seen when He said, Forgive them. It is noteworthy that Christ entrusted His mother to a faithful disciple and believer and not to His unbelieving brothers. You see, spiritual relationship has priority over natural relationship. Spiritual relationship. You know the old saying, blood is thicker than water? Well, I say water is thicker than blood. The water of baptism is thicker than blood. In other words, spiritual relationship is far more important Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Well, much more could be said about that. I'm going to have to hurry because that clock is running faster than I am. (laughs) Words of anguish. Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. And about the ninth hour. What have we already seen that took place at the ninth hour? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now that was before the ninth hour, excuse me, sixth hour. Woman? No, excuse me. He cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Note that this took place after the ending of three hours. There was darkness over the earth from the 6th hour to the ninth hour. It is like, to me, darkness exploded into daylight with the shriek question, though we must not think the, the Christ Christ cry was unto the father was of lost exasperation or uninformed idea of what was taking place. he was not lost as to what was being accomplished in fulfilling the justice of God for the salvation of his people. he knew what was going on <clears throat> but the darkness is ended my God. My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? This cry of Jesus on the cross is so profound and mysterious that I hardly know how to say it. One thing is certain. It was not a casual or a relaxed saying He cried with a loud voice. He not only cried out, but it was with a loud and a mighty voice. Think about being there. Think about darkness over the land. No doubt there was much silence during that three-hour period. For them with a loud voice. As the coming of the Lord will be immediate, that the trumpet will sound immediately, unannounced, all at once. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cries out. Don't you think that got the attention? Don't you think that got the attention? And dear saint, think of your past. When you were in the furnace of affliction, did you not cry out loudly from the bowels or the depths of your soul unto God? Why? Why? You see, when you're in mysterious trials and strong temptations, it's legitimate to cry why as long as you're not questioning the judgment of God. Look at Psalm. Let's look at a few verses in Psalm. Psalm two. If I get my fingers working on this pages here, Psalm two, verse one. Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? Psalm ten. In verse 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? And then the quote from Psalm 22. 1. Though this is prophetic of, of uh, Christ, no doubt David was experiencing this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And one more Psalm 42. Psalm 42 and 9. I will say unto God, my rock, Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? I want you to realize that when our Lord cries out at this time of anguish, that He can sympathize with you. And I know what it is to be in the depths of agony. And I know what it is to cry aloud in the recesses of my closet and cry unto God, why? 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 You see, it was not a cry of full despair. I can't explain it all. But here you see the cry of anguish of the soul of Jesus. The incarnate Son, the second Person of the Trinity, the eternal Word made flesh, crying unto His heavenly Father. Why? Why? When He had said, I come to give my life for ransom. He knew He was to go up. He knew to Jerusalem and be condemned and be crucified. Allow me to Impose on your kindness. I want to read from uh, A. W. Pink. These are words of unequal pathos. They mark the climax of his suffering, sufferings. The soldiers had cruelly mocked Him. They had arrayed Him with the crown of thorns. They had scourged and buffeted Him. They even went so far as to spit upon Him and pluck off His hair. They despoiled Him of His garments and put on Him to an open shame. Yet He suffered it all in silence. They pierced His hands and His feet. Yet did He endure the cross, despising the shame. The vulgar, vulgar crowd taunted him, and the thieves which were crucified with him flung the same taunts into his face. Yet he opened not his mouth. In response to all that he suffered at the hands of men, not a cry escaped its lips. But now, as the consecrated wrath of heaven descended upon him, he cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Surely this is a cry that ought to Uh, to melt the hardest hearts. And Pink went on to say, here we see the explanation of Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, it says in one place, being in an agony, he prayed the more earnestly, and angels came and strengthened him. In another place, he said, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Also, he said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. And he began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy, as Mark says. In other words, we see, as Pink said, I think, an explanation of Gethsemane. And he went, Pink went on to say, The forsaking of the Redeemer by God was a solemn fact and an experience which left Him nothing but the support of His faith. Our Savior's position on the cross was absolutely unique. This may readily be seen by contrasting His own words spoken during the public ministry with those uttered on the cross itself. Formerly he said, I knew that thou hearest me always, John eleven forty two. Now he cries, "Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest me not, Psalm 22, 2. Formerly he said, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not forsaken, left me alone, John eight twenty nine. Now he cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had absolutely nothing now to rest upon save his father's covenant and promise. And in his cry of anguish, his faith is made manifest. It was a cry of distress, not of distrust. God had withdrawn from him, but mark how his soul still cleaves to God. His faith triumphed by laying hold of God even amidst darkness. My God, he says, my God, thou with whom is infinite and everlasting strength. Thou who hast hitherto supported my manhood, and according to my promise, excuse me, thy promise, upheld thy servant. Oh, be not far from me now. Oh, my God, lean on me. Uh, lean uh, oh God, excuse me, my God, I lean on thee. When all visible and sensible comforts had disappeared to the visible support and refuge of his faith, did the Savior betake himself. In reality, Christ was made a curse for us. Galatians 3:13. The word of suffering, I'm going to have to go through these other two things, three things quickly. I'll try to make it intelligible as I can. The word of suffering, where he said, I thirst. I'm not going to take the time to turn to these passages of Scripture. But I want to read, Now after this, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I thirst. Now there were set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it to His mouth. Earlier, before the three hours of darkness, vinegar was offered to Him. You'll see this in Matthew 15, 23, but He refused it. But notice Jesus said here, now that all things are now accomplished, He received it. You'll see that in Matthew 15.36, the difference. In Matthew 27.34 and 48. And here in John 19.36, He said He received the vinegar. In other words, It was a fulfillment of prophecy, but it had to be at the right time. Our Lord on the cross was still in control of the sovereignty of God. The word of victory. It is finished. And He gave up the ghost. I want to quickly read from Pink. It is finished. What was finished? The answer to this question is a very full one. Though a number of excellent expositors have sought to limit the scope of these words and to confine them strictly to a single application. We are told it was the prophecies concerning the sufferings of the Savior which were finished and that he referred only to this. It is readily granted... That the immediate reference was to the Messianic pre- predictions. Yet we think there are good and sufficient reasons not f- confining our, our Lord's words here to them. Yea, to us it seems certain that Christ referred specially to his sacrificial work. For all Scripture concerning his sufferings and shared was not fulfilled. There still remained the dismissal of his spirit into the hands of the Father. There still remained the piercing with the spear. The note and note the words that used for the piercing of his hands and feet, the act of crucifixion. In Psalm twenty-two sixteen, in a different one, there still remains the pre, uh, preserving of his bones unbroken and the burial in rich man's grave. In other words, these scriptures had yet to be fulfilled. What was finished? We answer, His sacrificial work. It is true there yet remained the act of death itself, which was necessary for making of atonement. But it, 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 But as is often uh, the case here in John's Gospel, where a text is found the Lord here speaks anticipatively of the, competition, of the completion excuse me, of His work. Moreover, it must be remembered that the three hours of darkness was already past, the awful cup had already been drained, His precious blood had already been shed, the outpouring wrath of God had already been endured, and these are the primary elements in the making of propitiation." The sacrificial work of the Savior then was completed, excepting expe- only the act of death which followed immediately. But as we shall see, the completion of the sacrificial work made an end of a number of things to them. We now should turn our attention. And then he list. here we see, the accomplished fulfillment of all the prophecies which have been written of him that should, uh, ere he should die the completion of His sufferings, the gold of the Incarnation is reached, the accomplishment of the atonement, the end of our sins, the fulfillment of the law's requirements, and the destruction of Satan's power. And of course, pink enlarged on each one of those points. And then the last, the word of contentment. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into my hand, I commend that my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Previously, the Lord had cried, My God. And He cried with a loud voice. But now He cries with a loud voice again, My Father. Before my God. Now my Father. He wants to make it, in my opinion, uh, wants to make it known He's back in fellowship with His Father, as it were. He equally displayed the same passion addressing Him, my Father. His Father is His God and equally is our God and our Father. You remember when the Lord said to Thomas in John twenty seventeen, when He talked about God being Christ's Father and our Father... And God being Christ God and our God. We have the same relationship. Christ makes it clearly to be known. He's back in fellowship with God. And He was still in control. His head didn't drop. His head didn't fall. Our Lord being totally controlled, bowed His head. And gave up the ghost. He laid down his life. And he gave up the spirit. Well, a lot of that I had to hurry through. But I hope it gives you a greater appreciation of our suffer- of our Savior when he was on the cross. Let's pray. Holy Father, words fail to express our appreciation for our suffering Savior. So often, We think about these truths with hardness of heart or indifference of spirit or a casual consideration. I pray that You would cause us to meditate on these things and draw us closer to You that we might fellowship You and our Savior through the operation of the Holy Spirit. For it is in Christ we pray. Amen.